You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Hello, I'm Teresa McKee, your host for A Mindful Moment. Thank you for joining me as we explore ways to increase mindfulness in our day-to-day experiences. In addition to our regular weekly podcast, we also have the privilege of interviewing experts from around the world to further our understanding of how to live mindfully. I had the pleasure of having Dr. Patricia E. Zarita Ona known as Dr. Z, back on our show recently. She's a licensed clinical psychologist originally from Bolivia and runs a boutique therapy practice specializing in getting people unstuck from worries, obsessions, fears, and anxieties. She is a passionate proponent of ACT. Her new book, Acceptance and Commitment Skills for Perfectionism and High Achieving Behaviors, was recently published, and as a recovering perfectionist myself, I was interested in finding out how to use those tendencies to my benefit. Hello, Dr. Z. Thank you so much for joining us again. Hi, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. Good to see you. You too. And I'm excited. Now you've got a book out. So I will just jump right in since it's a topic that I think many people um, experience. And I'm going to actually start with probably the simplest question for me to understand, which is, How do we know if our level or type of perfectionism is healthy or unhealthy? That's such a great question. Um, Most people differentiate perfectionism as whether it's healthy or unhealthy or effective or ineffective or productive or unproductive. And I think what is important perhaps is to clarify first what perfectionism is. Uh, because a lot of us, we do have high standards. We want to get things right and perfectly. But when we're thinking about perfectionists, we're thinking about this fear of making mistakes, this fear of being a failure, and this strong attachment to how things are supposed to be or how I'm supposed to be. Um, so sometimes all those behaviors may work on our favor. Uh, For example, if you are a movie editor, if you're working with audio, with image, the more attention you pay to detail, the better that your product is going to be. 
The challenge is that when we do a lot of those behaviors without looking at how other areas of our life are affected, um, if I am pushing harder and harder, if I am um, working and working and working every weekend, my relationships are going to be affected or my health is going to be compromised. So answering to your question, if other areas of my life are compromised and I'm not being the person I want to be in my relationships with my friends, with my partner, uh, with my co-workers, then we will say that something needs to shift and perhaps these perfectionistic actions are not working um, to the best. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Pun intended. Okay. So... <laughs> In the book, you talk about unpacking our personal histories. And so I'm wondering why it's important to understand our fears, anxieties, and worries when it comes to perfectionism. One of the things that I witnessed with my clients, whether they were 25 years old or 40 years old or 60 years old, is that there is a long history of doing everything we can to manage this possibility of being a failure, of coming across as a failure. They do all types of things to manage the possibility of things going wrong or mistakes happening. They may spend hours Googling for the best thing they have to buy. They are going to be asking for reassurance. They are going to sometimes procrastinate things because it's not ready. Um, they are going to avoid applying for new positions or more challenging jobs because what if that proves that I something is wrong with me, that I'm not competent enough? And... So perfectionistic actions are not a one-time thing. Uh, they actually have a long history in a person's uh, development. And for some people, it starts since they were children. Um, in fact, a couple of years ago, I remember I was working at a school facility and a school setting, and I got a call from one of the teachers and say, can you please talk to this kid? He keeps crying and crying and crying and there's nothing we can do. This, this kid has been crying for the last two hours. And I'm like, sure. And I asked, is this the first time that happened? And the teacher said, no, it's not the first time. This has happened quite a lot the last couple of days. So I say, okay, just send that kid my, to my way. So I, I opened the door of my office. This is in a school setting. I was working with children, things, and families then. And then I see a seven, eight-year-old boy coming, walking into my office, sobbing, pouring in tears. You know, we chat a little bit. I am trying to be empathic with him. And then I ask what happened. And this kid, seven, eight years old, no, no older than that, with a lot of tears in his eyes, told me I made a mistake. I, I made a mistake in that question on my math test. And we're looking at the test may have had like 20 questions and he missed one of them. But he was in such a degree of despair and sadness because he made a mistake. And Church said that two days ago, he also missed two questions in a writing task. Uh, so you could see at that young age how this aversion to make mistakes was so embedded in this kid's life. And when I talked to the parents, the parents said, well, we don't do that. We're not perfectionistic. You know, we want him to be happy. And it is true. In some cases, um, I think it's a personality feature that people have. But, but they start in some cases very early. Other times you see more of these behaviors in adolescence. 
but so I think that the bottom line is that when we think about high achieving actions, striving behaviors, perfectionistic behaviors, they are not a one-time thing in our life. There are hundreds of times or they, they have a history. And for some people, it started since they were very, very young. That's mm-hmm. why I think understanding our context is helpful to see that, that sometimes it's hard to let go of these old behaviors, not impossible. And, and what I try to tell people also is that working on these striving behaviors and perfectionistic actions It's not about letting go of your standards. It's not about dropping your standards or doing mediocre work because people are afraid of that. It's really about learning to harness the power of perfectionistic actions, striving behaviors without losing myself or without hurting my relationships. Right. Which is what then makes it healthy, right? Versus destructive. That's right. That's right. That's the idea. How we can learn to to find the golden nuggets of doing things right and perfectly and paying attention to details and searching for information before making a decision without spending hours and hours um, full of rumination in my head or not hanging out with my friends or not sleeping well at night. That's the whole idea. It was very interesting to go through all of this. And of course, we won't have time to talk about everything. But one of the things that you talked about related to ACT is that values are viewed differently in ACT than they are maybe the way most people think about them. So can you explain, explain that, but also explain how our values, what they have to do with perfectionism? Yeah, yeah, thank you. So within acceptance and commitment therapy, we think of values as these personal qualities and personal life principles that we want to live by and stand up for. I know that values is a word that gets thrown around a lot, like freedom, liberty, courage, compassion, and and those are beautiful words. But within ACT, within acceptance and commitment therapy, we're thinking of our values as ongoing actions that we never, never complete. So, for example, if my value is being caring, I may have different actions related to this value, like I can't. I can call my mom and check how she's doing. I can ask you before anything, how have you been? How was the end of the year? I can't make a bake a cake for my neighbor. So there are different actions, actions related to my value of being caring. When I complete a task, I'm, I'm done with that particular task, but I'm not done with the value of being caring for the rest of my life. So that's what we think about values as ongoing actions, ongoing patterns of behaviors that help us to be who we want to be. And we think we talk about them as verbs. So instead of saying warm, we will say being caring or being warm, because then it's me who is embracing that action and the person that is in charge of living that value because no one can do that for me. So that will be the larger context. And What I found in my world with clients who are high achievers is that they're actually, contrary to what people believe, they're actually very in touch with what is important to them. Uh, It's really one of the most beautiful things. They are not lost in life. They are not unclear about what is important. It's totally the opposite. They're actually very clear what is important, truly important to them. The challenge is that they're holding into those values with, I think, with a lot of rigidity sometimes and inflexibility. 
It is as if they think, if I don't make a mistake in this paper, then, then I will show that I am caring. As if that one single paper is the one that defines everything for them. So the way that I, I talk sometimes is that there is nothing wrong with caring as much as you do. And it makes sense that you want to do things right and perfectly because you deeply care. But how can we help you to care as much as you do without affecting other areas of your life? So I think it's very, very interesting because most people think that high achievers or people who engage in a striving actions, they're not clear about what matters. They're actually very clear. They really know what matters. It just happened that they deeply, deeply, deeply care about their values. Well, it ties into what we were talking about before with the patterns of the history too, because it tends to, tends to not have just popped up, right? It tends to be something that builds over time. That's At true. the same time, some of the things that trip us up also build up over time. And one of the areas that you talk about is rules. Yeah. So how do rules kind of trip us up when it comes to high achievers or perfectionism? So within acceptance and commitment therapy, we use this fancy term that it's called rule governed behavior. In my work, I talk about ruling thoughts. And if you think about what our lives and the way that we think about reality, there are some thoughts that come and go. Am I going to have salmon or chicken for dinner? Do this t-shirt looks okay or not? So some thoughts may come and go. But there are other thoughts that in some way, they're like rubrics. They're our signature. Like we cannot let them go and we hold them with white knuckles. I must do things right. I cannot make mistakes because that will show I am not competent. If I make an error, that means I don't care. What will people think about me? If my children don't behave well, that's a reflection of the type of parent I am. So one of the things that happens when I'm working with my clients and also when I look at my own life, sometimes we have some of these thoughts about more rules and more rules about how I'm supposed to behave, how my standards should always be here. And we all have that. It's human to have some of those ruling thoughts. The challenge with perfectionistic actions and striving behaviors is that if we don't look at how holding onto that ruling thought and going along with that ruling thought works in my life, then I am going to be suffering a lot. Because reality is that we live in an unpredictable world with a lot of things that are unplanned are happening. We never know when things are going to go wrong. In fact, a lot of things go wrong every single moment. So it's really, I think, comes a lot of suffering if we continue to hold on to those rules about how I'm supposed to perform, the words that I have to say, how I'm supposed to look, how I'm supposed to play tennis without having some flexibility and distinguishing when should I pursue this ruling thought and when should I just let it go? When should I actually just make room for the discomfort that will come with letting things go? We'll continue this conversation right after this brief message. I know you list out several words that relate to this, but the first one was shoulds. And mm-hmm. we talk a lot about that in our work. Like There is no should. Like if you can get rid of that one word, you can start to feel the shift. And that's that letting go or being a little more flexible. But I think a lot of people, it's very difficult because they see the world in one way, you know, based on whatever their conditioning or their, you know, past history or whatever it is. And it's very hard for them to shift out of that. 
And I agree with you, it's certainly not impossible, but I think it first requires that you just open your mind to the fact that it could be a different way, right? And that's a big shift leading into my next question because it ties to this is you call it the dynamic nature of the mind. And I think that that is an area where if we understood, really understood how our minds work, which is not that every thought you have is real and that you have to listen to every thought, but that it's this dynamic, this constantly changing chatter. That might also help. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the dynamic nature of our minds. Absolutely. And Teresa, with your permission, if I can go back a little bit what you say, if it's okay, Um, because I think this is very important. I know we often hear the shoots, the mass needs to be, and sometimes people can say those thoughts with a smile in their face. I should be getting an A, right? We won't see that, okay, uh, what's going on there. But I think what happens is that to harness the power of perfectionistic actions, we need to distinguish when I pursue the best, when I just let things go. But if I decide to let go of holding to that should, to that mask, I am going to be emotionally distressed. I am going to feel perhaps guilt. I maybe feel some shame. I may be anxious. I may feel like I'm going to have a strong urges to go back to the old ways of checking and checking, making sure things are right. So I think that's the challenge that letting go of these shoots and masks means that I need to make room for all the yucky stuff that will come because it won't feel good. And I think that's what is hard, right? I have to sit with uncertainty, shame. My mind sometimes may be criticizing myself, right? You see, you didn't check. Now you're not going to get a job. Your career will be over, right? So for people listening to us, I will strongly invite you to consider that as much as those old behaviors may have worked in some settings, if we don't pay attention to how they are working in other areas of your life, we are just preparing ourselves for a lot of suffering. Because in life, the more that we learn to make room for the discomfort that comes, with holding our thoughts lively, holding those oats, shoots, and masks lively, the more skillful we're going to be to navigate how life happens. Because every day there is going to be a lot of unpredictability. So that I just wanted to get back to that because I think that is important. I do too. Um, Thank you. Right. And, and to your question about the dynamic mind, I think there are so many approaches that um, these days in, in psychology and in behavioral approaches, that we're look, we acknowledge that our mind has a life on its own. We know these days that um, on a regular day, your mind and my mind come up with seven, seven to 8,000 types of thoughts, images, predictions, dreams, hypotheses. We do have busy, very, very busy minds. So our minds are never the static, they're dynamic entities. And because they're dynamic entities, we also should radically accept that our mind is going to come with rules with predictions about the future, with predictions about bad things happening, that our mind is going to dwell on the past. But if I if I keep holding onto my mind seriously and trying to respond to every single thought my mind tells me, in the case of perfectionistic actions, if I have to respond to my mind telling me all the time, what if you make a mistake? What if you say the wrong word? What if your career is over? I will be so busy living in my head, Right. If we have to respond to every single thought that says, watch out, this could go wrong, or what if we make a mistake, we won't be doing any of this. We won't be living life. So I think it's important to learn to watch our mind for what it is. 
a device that has a life on its own and it's extremely dynamic, comes with the stories, with ruling thoughts, with all types of internal experiences, but we're not defined by it. Right. I know with clients I work with, sometimes mm-hmm. it's a complete aha moment because they've never realized that's what they're doing. The stories you're making up, you know, all the things that you think you have to do that really usually came from someone else, right? Not, not maybe based on what you want, but what you think is expected of you. And when you start to break it down, it's like, you mean, I don't have to think that, or I don't have to listen to those thoughts. And that's a relief to a lot of people. So you're absolutely right. It can be painful sometimes to let go of those things, especially if you've been doing them a long time. And especially if they served you before, because usually our behavior is based on something that at some point served us. And then we just haven't recognized that it's no longer serving us. So I think right. Yeah. In that case of perfectionism, if I can add, if we look at all what is driving perfectionism, again, is this fear of making mistakes, mm-hmm. but it's also this fear about being a failure. Yes. Uh, for most of my clients, their mind, and, and you know, this happens in our, for us, us too, but for my clients, their mind has told them that you are not good enough. So the way that they manage the story of not being good enough is by trying to do things right and perfect, by avoiding some things if they're not ready, avoiding some tasks that they're not good at. The challenge is that, again, if you keep doing what your mind tells you to do, you're going to be very busy living in your head. And I think to your point, it's liberating when we learn to hold those thoughts lively. One of my favorite act exercises to hold those stories lively is sometimes we write poems with my clients about those stories, about being a failure, not being good enough. Um, sometimes we sing these stories, I am not good enough. I am not so competent. Now, of course, after doing a lot of work, because we don't want to, no one is making fun of people's pain, but we're also learning to, to hold these stories lively by sometimes being a little bit goofy with them. Right. Or sometimes when the mind comes with those stories, we may say, okay, thank your mind. You know, thank you, mind. And I may even do a gesture and hold that, that story, the thought, and put it in my packet. But all those um, exercises are done with the purpose of learning to watch our mind, watch our dynamic mind without being consumed by all the stuff that comes up with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I told you last time you were with us that I'm a recovering perfectionist. So I may have to adjust that to say I'm now a healthier, because I'm picky. (laughs) I'll admit I'm picky, but I can do that now. I can let things go or I can accept that it's out of my control, you know, things like that, where for many years of my life, I couldn't, everything had to be perfect. And I really had that belief. So Mm -hmm. I can relate to people that go through that pain of what are people going to think now that I'm not perfect? I mean, that was never perfect. It was an illusion, but you know what I mean? It's, it's a hard thing to let go when it's part of your identity for a long time. Is it okay if I ask a little bit about that? Sure. Um, what helped you to make this shift from being defined by those perfectionistic actions, being com- maybe looking at your identity through those lenses to where you are now? You know, a lot of it just had to do with I realized I wasn't happy because I was always so busy, but a lot of the busyness was making everything perfect, whether it was a meal, whether it was a a paper at work, you know, it didn't matter what it was. And I can't tell you, there was not a defining moment. It was when I realized I'm not enjoying doing these things anymore because I can't get them perfect, Mm -hmm. you know, because you can't get, you know, how hard it is to make anything even close to perfect. And so I just decided I started with little things that other people wouldn't see. So Mm -hmm. if it was like, I don't know, cutting corners on a dinner, (laughs) whatever it was, and and then waiting to see, did anything happen? And Mm -hmm. of course, nothing happened. No one noticed. And then the more I noticed that, the more I realized this is all in my head. Like I just had to start working on it. It took a long time though. I mean, to be honest with anyone listening, this doesn't change overnight. It's 
first there's the recognition of this is something I can actually change and feel better mm-hmm. and still, you know, contribute to the world and follow my values. I love the way you say it in the book, which is about don't hold it so tightly, just start letting it go a little bit. Yeah. So once I realized I could maybe produce something that was high quality, but it wasn't perfect, yeah, was okay, right? It was still, and actually I think it's better. Now I live by it because if I was a perfectionist now, we would never get everything out the door that needs to get out the door, right? You know, as a company, because the perfectionists that I've worked with, including myself, tend to become the bottlenecks too, because we're wanting everything to be perfect because we're looking at something as a reflection on us instead of looking at it as a contribution out. That's right. Now, thank you so much for sharing because I think, and certainly I relate to that personally. I I think um, it takes time to make a shift from how we see ourselves through the lenses of perfectionists to really realize that we are not defined by those actions and to really learn to distinguish when we pursue, you know, know, things right and perfectly and when we let go. And one of the things that I notice with my clients is that when they're making this shift, um, there is a little bit of a stuckness because they look at their values of being a solid partner as equally as important as their value to be caring with their work. So it looks like two areas of the life are competing or two values of the life are competing. And I think sometimes when we're making those choices, when we have to say no, let's say to to this project at work, because I want to say yes to show up to my partner in a way that my mind is fresh and I can enjoy his company. I think when we make those choices, in the case of perfectionists, that comes with some grieving, grieving that I have to let go of this. I have to say no to this area that is also important to me in the service of this other area. And that's what also I like to talk about, finding our rhythms. And and I think we manage our life to different seasons. Sometimes we may prioritize the relationship, other times we may prioritize prioritize career. Um, But that that also helps us to harness the power of perfectionists because it's impossible in life that every single thing is going to be fulfill at the same time. That's a lot of pressure, right? Yes. Yes. You know, we do talk about that a lot because people for a long time were searching for some kind of a perfect work-life balance. And it speaks directly to this, especially if you're high achieving or a perfectionist, because, and I went through this too. I always felt like I was letting something down, someone or something, right? Because it's impossible. So I agree. You go through ebbs and flows and you know, I call it harmonizing. You harmonize your life. It's never balanced, but you can but achieve a little harmony. <laughs> but you have to give yourself permission through that, right? Yes, yes And absolutely. that's the big part. Like when we give ourselves permission to let things go, to find our ebb and flow, to harmonize them for the next three months, and then we reassess. I think that those are the skills that sometimes, or perhaps a lot of people with higher striving behaviors, they, they don't know. Yeah, that it doesn't yeah. have to be this constant thing of pushing and working harder and doing more and more. And reality is that when you find that rhythm for yourself, you harmonize different areas of your life at different times, you actually have so much more mental capacity to continue doing the next and to enjoy yourself and to handle stressful situations much more skillfully. Isn't that interesting? It's a paradox. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I was just thinking I had a client a few years ago who went back to school for a master's degree and The reason she was getting coaching is because she could not stand the thought of getting anything less than an A. And this is in a master's program years after school. And she wasn't enjoying school. And I went back to school later. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And this was during the time I was trying to really shift my attitude about the perfectionism thing. And so what I did 
is I made the decision not to look at my grades. Mm. So when papers would come back, I didn't look. And so I thought, okay, it is what it is. It's turned in, it's done. So I'm just not going to pay attention and enjoy the experience. Me telling her that story gave her anxiety. She could not function without seeing that she'd hit the mark every single week on a paper or a grade. And that was a great distinction for me that I had made progress because that is probably a hard thing to do to not look to see what you did. Now, at the end, I went back and looked and only on one paper did I get less than what I expected. Mm -hmm. So why all that anxiety? You know what I mean? So I think you have to kind of not just experiment with loosening up, but like just do these little tests where you, you no one else knows, right? But you can just kind of get your comfort level adjusted to recognizing that, oh, nothing happened. No one knew, nothing terrible. The sky didn't fall because something wasn't perfect. But I think you do have to experience it a little bit, including that yes. discomfort. Yes, yes. Thank you for sharing that. It's very powerful because I think because highest striving behaviors require a lot of thinking and intellectualizing that I know in the room many times I was getting stuck with my clients because they say, are you asking me to be lazy? Are you asking me to do less? But I think it's hard to answer those questions without having experience. And what you are discovering is micro exercises, right? If we can help our clients and people can practice those exercises in their own as well as you did, I think the experience will tell you what works and what doesn't. You say in the book that doing what matters most requires your full attention, Mm -hmm. investment and dedication, but doing what matters doesn't necessarily mean that you cannot be present with what's happening around you. And I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about that, because that, of course, ties directly into mindfulness and I think is so important to enjoying life while you're accomplishing what you're trying to accomplish. One of the things that I've noticed in my work is that often people were very consuming their minds, trying to plan how things should be, trying to strategize things so things don't fall apart about all types of things, sport performance, religion, um, having a dinner on Saturday. And the challenge is that with all those strategies to manage this, this fear of being a failure, this fear of making mistakes, they were very present with their worries, their anxieties, their catastrophizing thoughts, very, very present, consumed by them. And I think that when we make a choice to harness the power of perfectionists or learn how to do so, there are many micro skills that come with it. In the book, I describe a lot of them. But this skill of being present with what you're doing as it happens, it means exactly that, that when we are participating in the meal that we're making for our partners, when we're participating in writing the content for this interview, when we're participating in playing tennis because that's part of my values of being healthy, when we are doing all those activities, there is a stuff that happens around us that we, we see, we feel, we sense. But then also there's our mind telling us all types of things. But when we are present, we also invite ourselves to make, to make a choice. Am I going to respond to the thought? Or am I going to go back to be present with how I am hitting the ball when I'm playing tennis? Or how I am writing this sentence? or how I am chopping the vegetables. So I think invite making the choice to be present is also another way to liberate ourselves from all those thoughts that come in our mind. We don't have to, we don't have to uh, push them away. We don't have to pretend they are not there. We don't have to replace them, but we can notice them, watch them and choose where do I pay my put attention to. 
And when we do that, we learn to have a full experience of what is in front of us without any attachment to outcomes, to how things are supposed to be, without any attachment to how I'm supposed to be in this particular task, but really being present with experiences fully as they are, as they are showing up in front of us. Yeah, and of course, that's mindfulness. Yes, <laughs> and all it, the way, all the way. Right, perfect example. Thank you. Well, the book is full of anecdotes with examples with clients. It's got great tips. It's got exercises. So I really thank you for writing the book and for all of those perfectionists out there, my brothers and sisters, I feel like. <laughs> Just keep in mind that there are different types of perfectionism and different levels of it. And you can still really be high achieving and do things well but stay more in touch with the rest of life and enjoy it to its fullest. So I thought the book did a great job of pointing that out. And I thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Teresa. I very much appreciate it. I absolutely am a big fan of all the work you're doing. And thank you for giving me the space to chat a little bit about it. Thank you. Thank you again to Dr. Z for joining us today and sharing so much information on how high achievers can work with their perfectionist tendencies. You can find more information on her work at thisisdrz.com and you can find her podcast wherever you listen by searching playingitsafe.zone. You'll find a link to her book on our website at amindfulmoment.com and you can see the entire interview on our YouTube channel at Work to Live. Until next time, I encourage you to meditate daily and be mindful in all of your everyday activities. Simply bring your full awareness to the present moment to build your mindfulness skills, paying attention to every detail of what you're doing, from washing dishes to work tasks to taking a walk. Your mind will wander, and that's normal. Each time you notice it has wandered, that's mindfulness. Consider how wonderful the world could be if everyone was mindful. You can help make that happen. It all starts with a mindful moment. Please subscribe to A Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee and rate this podcast so that others can find us. Follow us on social media at A Mindful Moment Podcast. Visit our website, amindfulmoment.com, to access all podcasts and interviews. A Mindful Moment is written by Teresa McKee. The English version is hosted by Teresa McKee, and the Spanish version is translated and hosted by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll by Josh Kirsch, Media Right Productions. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions, 